Welcome to the Elmer EMC podcast. We want to support you on your journey with God. So here's this week's teaching. It's so great to be able to present again and to share from God's Word. And this morning we get to finish our uh, quick and brief journey through 1 Peter. And so our focus is on chapters 4 and 5 as we continue on the theme of living as exiles in a post-COVID world. And so I'm going to read some selected verses from uh, chapters 4 and 5 of 1 Peter. I trust that uh, those of you who have used the uh, uh, scripture reading guide that I've provided to Anne, that uh, you've... uh, read these two chapters and the, uh, also the uh, related passages that I've included for you to read. So uh, let us read together from this letter. We'll begin at chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. The Apostle Peter writes to these uh, early followers of Jesus and for us, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange has happened to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And then I'm going to jump to chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And then verses 10 and 11 of chapter 5. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. I'm not built to be a runner I always had described myself as a farm boy that I was raised to be a workhorse rather than a racehorse. I do not run well. I've done myself injury in the most simplest acts of running. And so I just marvel at the people who are able to run, especially those who run long distance and marathon. Uh, On the picture that you'll see on the screen is, uh, is, is a very famous marathon and long-distance runner. He's won many world titles and Olympic gold medals. His name is Haile Geber Selassie from Ethiopia. And it's just amazing what this man has done as a runner. And sometimes as we think of long-distance runners like this, uh, we, we kind of uh, even might feel right now as though this uh, COVID Uh, a pandemic experience might itself feel like running the marathon. Is this ever going to end? Uh, when, when, When am I going to reach the finish line in this? And while I'm not a runner, uh, probably because I'm not a runner, I've, I've learned that there are two very important ingredients to running well, even if you're a plotter like me. 
And, and the first is that, that when you run, uh, you know, once you get to a certain distance, the, the, the tiredness sets in and the exhaustion and you feel like your, your body is just going to fall apart and, and, and it now begins to feel like suffering. And when I think of what these people do in practice before a race, it certainly feels like, you know, these guys are, are putting themselves through tremendous rigors and suffering and yet they press on. When the pressure's on, when you feel like quitting, when you're too tired to go on, Scripture even tells us to press on. That's why Paul will tell us in, in Philippians 3 that uh, he forgets the things that are behind and he looks forward and he presses on for the high calling that is his in Jesus Christ. And, and one of the things that keeps you going is, is that you are anticipating the future. There's a future hope. And so you look up. You see, when you're a runner, uh, you don't watch where your feet are going. That's the most disastrous thing you can do. If you're looking at the path immediately in front of your feet, you are bound to trip over yourself. But if you lift your eyes up and you look into the distance, you are a much more effective runner and you run much more smoothly and your body stays in line. And so, as we run this race, we have to press on and we look up. We look up. Your focus is incredibly important when we run this race of faith. And so, Peter tells us how we can run this race of faith well, how we can deal with our present ordeals. It might even feel like suffering for you, or maybe you're dealing with additional things than COVID and it's a tremendous complication for you. But there's a future hope to anticipate as well. And so this morning, I want to help you get your focus so that you can run this race well. Uh, one of the first things we need to focus on is that we need to focus on Christ's example from the past. We especially see this in the opening verses of chapter 4. And in the verses 1 and 2, Peter writes this. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Peter is, is telling us uh, about the example of Christ, uh, not just to teach us about the nature of our salvation and how Jesus accomplished that for us. He's now taking the cross of Christ and he's making an example for you and me to follow. And so we're now to look back on the sufferings of Christ and not just delight in the salvation that we have, but to let that cross be the thing that, that arms our minds to have an attitude that will uh, take us through whatever we are facing, including what we're facing now with this pandemic. And so we're, he says here that, that when we arm ourselves with the attitude of Jesus, when we look at his cross and how Jesus endured it, just like what we were looking at last week, where, where it says that, you know, though, uh, though he suffered in the body, he didn't attack back at the people who were, were crucifying him and beating him. Though they were insulting him, he did not insult them in, in return. So there's the attitude of Jesus being displayed. 
And he says that when we take this attitude of Jesus on, it transforms us. Because now we don't live for our own evil human desires, but rather we live for the will of God. Following Jesus has a transformative effect on our lives. Uh, we, we, we've adopted in, in our circle of EMCC churches, and I'm sure that you folks here at, at Elmer are quite familiar with it, in the way of Jesus, we say, I am learning the teachings of Jesus. But it goes beyond that. We don't just learn the teachings, but those teachings are meant to have an effect in our life. So another part of the way of Jesus is I am becoming like Jesus in my attitudes, behaviors, and my character. And so it's meant to have a transforming effect. We, we see here that this reference to the sufferings of Jesus. And when we look at what Jesus endured on the cross, one of the primary thoughts that, that develops theologically is our whole understanding of, of what's described as the atonement. And Christian theologians and thinkers have pondered throughout the centuries, you know, how does this act of atonement work? What, what's the mechanics behind it? And a number of different options have been put forward, and unfortunately we tend to fight over those options in the family of Christ when, when actually I, I'm convinced that we need all of them to have a full-orbed understanding of the teaching of the gospel. And so we see here, for example, that, that you know, there, there are four main views. There's, there's the penal substitution view, that, that Jesus took the penalty for our sins upon himself, that, that he took our place on that cross. But in addition to that, there's a ransom model. And in the ransom model, fundamentally, is, is wherever you see the references that say that, you know, you were once slaves to sin, but now you've been set free from sin to serve Christ— serve God, that there, even in, in, in Romans uh, 6, where, where, where Paul really lays emphasis on this, uh, he, he, he points out to us that, that Jesus has paid the ransom for us that we would no longer be slaves. A another picture is Jesus as our champion, or Christ the victor where Jesus fights on our behalf, and now we participate in his victory. Uh, even, you know, little David's battle with Goliath, in a way, is a foreshadowing of this. Because, uh, in, you know, Jesus is our David. He's our champion, facing our great enemy. But after David achieved his victory, you will read that all Israel then went and they pursued the Philistines. They participated in the victory that David achieved by his slaying Goliath. Well, Christ is our victor. And he fought on our behalf. But here we see what's described is the whole idea of the atonement as moral influence. In other words, that, that the cross teaches us something in following Christ. And when we follow Christ, it transforms us. That, that the atonement, the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, even continues to shape our lives this very day. And so we read in, in chapter 2 and verse 21 of 1 Peter, he says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We looked at that verse last week. And so Christ has set for us a pattern. Uh, even in the letter to the Hebrews, we, we see this pattern. 
Uh, there we read in Hebrews 12, uh, uh, verses 1 to 3, he says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What does it mean that a race has been marked out for us? Uh, this is almost like running cross-country, as it were. And so the path is marked for you. There are indicators along the way. Go this way, go that way. There might be arrows pointing. Maybe it's co combined with some orienteering, if some are really into that. And, and so you have to follow your compass and look for the clues. But the path, the, the race, has been marked out for you. In fact, it's more than marked out for you. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, and I, like, I prefer to use the word trailblazer, the trailblazer and the perfecter of faith. In other words, it's not just merely that we're following a path that's been marked out for us now with arrows and maybe hash marks in a tree or little ribbons tied around a trunk or a branch. No, we have Jesus in front of us and he's running the race and he's the trailblazer and we walk and we run in his footsteps. And so he did this while we read, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're to run with perseverance. We're to press on. We're to keep our eyes on Jesus. Look up. It's not where your feet are going. It's who's blazing the trail, and you keep your eye on him. And it says here, it was for the joy set before him. Jesus anticipated something. And that brings us to our second focus. We also anticipate something. We're not only to focus on the example of Jesus in the past, but we're to focus on the hope of future glory. This whole theme is, is repeated throughout Peter's letter. And so I'm going to almost do another little word study. And it takes us almost through the whole book. And almost every chapter of 1 Peter has some kind of a reference to it. So first of all, when he opens his letter in verses 3 to 5, he says... In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope. That's what we look forward to. That's our anticipation for the future. And he's given it to us, he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're looking back to what Jesus did at the cross and his resurrection, and it gives us anticipation for the future. And he not only has given us, given us a living hope, but this new birth is also into an inheritance that can never perish. And then he concludes that whole thought by saying that, that this hope and this inheritance, that they are ready to be revealed at the last time. Grab a hold of that word, revealed. It's a word that you know well, even though you may think you don't. And this word revealed is repeated again and again throughout 1 Peter. It's one of the key words in reference to the second coming of Christ, to our Savior's return. And it's, it's a word you're very familiar with because it's the word apocalypse. And, uh, and, and so the noun is apocalypse, and, and Peter uses the verb most often. It's pronounced apocalypto. And, and when we think of apocalypse, because of the influence of, of, of uh, basically popular thought and the media and movies in particular, whenever we think of apocalypse, we think of disaster. 
But that's not what the word means. The word apocalypse literally means removing a veil. And it's always, when, when we get to the last book of the Bible, it's not about revealing great tragedies that are going to happen. It's about revealing the person and the glory of Jesus Christ and his victory over, over sin and over death and, and over our great enemies in this world. And so Peter uses this word apocalypse again and again. And he says that our hope, is it, this living hope and this inheritance that are being kept for us in heaven are ready to be unveiled. And really, Peter is referring to the second coming of Christ. We know this because it's repeated in, again and again. Because in verse 7 of 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, he says, uh, these, meaning referring to all the kinds of trials that we face, these have come so that, the, so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When, he, when Jesus is revealed, when he is unveiled, that our faith is going to result in praise and glory and honor. And here's where the second word appears, glory. Peter repeats these two words again and again and again, glory and revealed. And the two are intimately connected in throughout his letter. And so when we come to verses 12 and 13 that I began our scripture lesson with this, uh, the, uh, this morning, we, we, we note here that he says that, that we don't need to be surprised at the ordeals that we face. That's, that's the nature of living in a fallen world. And, and so it really shouldn't be something strange to us. But instead he says that we should rejoice. We should rejoice in as much as, first of all, we participate in the sufferings of Christ. There's that allusion back to Christ as our example, and we walk in his footsteps because he suffered for us. And when we go through trials, we are participating in what Jesus has done. And then he says, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So the, the praise and the glory and the honor that are revealed when Jesus comes, that, that, that hope that we have, that living hope and that inheritance that are, are ours, are our gifts through and from and by the person of Jesus himself. Because when his glory is revealed, we too will receive glory. It reminds me of, of that chorus we sang when I was a teenager. I don't hear it very much anymore. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do you remember me? And there's a verse in that chorus that goes, if you will bear the cross, then you will wear the crown. And that's in essence what Peter is saying here in verses 12 and 13, that we participate in the sufferings of Christ, but we should be overjoyed because we will receive glory when Jesus returns. And then again in verse 13, he's repeating himself because he says, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. We set our hope on grace. 
I think this grace is intimately connected to that whole thought of glory, and it's going to be revealed at the coming of Jesus. Then Peter can't seem to help himself because when he gets to chapter 5, he takes this whole theme of glory and he just seems to pile it on verse after verse. In verse 1 of chapter 5, he's writing to the elders and he's particularly referencing himself as an elder, as an apostle who has been a, a personal eyewitness of the sufferings of Jesus and that he will share himself in the glory to be revealed. And then in writing to the, the elders and encouraging them to be faithful in their duties, that, that he says to them that, that when the chief shepherd appears in verse 4, it says, you will receive the crown of glory as their reward when Christ returns. And then at his benediction in verse, in verse 10 of chapter 5, he says then, the God of all grace called you to his eternal glory in Christ. This is what you and I have to anticipate. What we get to look forward to. It's the prize at the end of the race that we fix our eyes on that keeps us going. And so we focus on the future glory. Paul even alludes to this in Romans chapter 8. He, he says this in Romans 8, 18 to 21. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory. The glory that will be revealed, now he says, in us. In us? Yes, in us. He, he goes on, he says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Well, who are the children of God? Those are, are that's us. Who's going to be revealed? What's going to be revealed? Well, first of all, glory's going to be revealed. But now he says we're going to be revealed. That means that in you and me, and I know there's just three of us, and we're not the best-looking characters. At least when I look in the mirror, I can say that. And, and there's, it's like there's something hidden in me, and what's hidden is that this is what children of God look like. This is the glory that they have. It, it kind of reminds me of, of an old movie. Uh, maybe some of you are familiar with it. It's a movie called Cocoon. And in it, uh, I think it's Willard Brimley and Donna Michi are a couple of the lead actors in it. And, 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 and these, two, these, these old geezers uh, discover uh, this uh, <clears throat> kind of a protection pod. It's almost like an egg kind of a thing. It's really a cocoon in, 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 in which uh, an alien has been uh, kind of put into suspended animation. And they find that when they expose themselves to this, that suddenly their aging is reversed and, and they, they have this virility and this strength and this, this vitality that they haven't enjoyed for a very long time as old men. And then as the movie progresses, they finally encounter one of these beings who, who has emerged from one of these cocoons and this person shines, radiates a glory. You, you and I, the world doesn't see us for what we really are. They don't recognize us as those who have been touched by the grace of God and in whom God is already pouring his glory that's going to be revealed when Jesus returns. 
Paul goes on. He says, not only does the creation uh, have wait and eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, and it's that same word, apocalypse, by the way, in verbal form. He then goes on and he says, for the creation was subjected to frustration in hope, there's that hope again, that the creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. There's so much that's going to happen when Jesus returns. We will be revealed for what we are. The children of God are going to be revealed when Christ returns and we are resurrected and we share in that physical resurrection now with Jesus. And then he says at that time, too, that creation itself will be brought into that freedom and glory. That's an allusion to the new heaven and the new earth. What, what a great plan God has manifested in his word that when Christ comes again, all the results of the fall, all the results of the curse will be reversed. And even creation will be filled with the glory of God and of Jesus Christ. We have a hope to look forward to. There's a victor's crown. There's a crown of glory that awaits us. And so with Paul, we can say, as he says at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, you know, I have, I have run the race and I have kept the faith and then he goes on and he says, and there awaits for me, and to all those who love his appearing, a crown of righteousness. We focus on the prize that's ahead. So we focus on the example of Christ from the past. We focus on the hope, on our future hope and glory. And then we, because of these two things, because we can look back and see the example of Jesus, and we can look forward, and we have the glory of Jesus to anticipate that we will share in for ourselves because of the past and the future. That affects how we can live in the present. And so here we can focus on present faithfulness. So in the opening verses of chapter 5, Paul or Peter speaks specifically to elders. He, he tells them that uh, they should be faithful in their service, first of all. And he sh says they shouldn't be dis pursuing dishonest gain, but rather they should, first of all, be eager to serve. That's ultimately what we all ought to be here for, isn't it? We walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We've, we've alluded to that again and again. And as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus, we not only look at the cross, but we look at his life in general. And Jesus said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. There's that idea of ransom once again. We are here as servants, and so we should be faithful in that service, not because of what we get out of it, but in order to please our master. And he says that those who are serving, we don't lord it over those entrusted to us, but rather we're examples to the flock. I think here Peter is referring to the main body of his letter where he uh, is impressing on, on his readers that, that command that we looked at last week, the command that we really bristle at that says, submit yourselves. And so 
lording it over others is the opposite of submitting yourself. Those are two completely diametrically opposed actions. And, and so Paul or Peter is really teaching those who are in leadership and who are in service that we, we, we don't serve by lifting ourselves up, but rather we serve by, by humbling ourselves and by submitting ourselves, by putting ourselves into the lower position of being a servant rather than of being a master. And he says that, that when the chief shepherd appears, that those who serve him faithfully will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. In Jesus' Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, near the conclusion, he's giving parables about watchfulness. And one of them, in summary, goes like this in verses 45 and 46 of Matthew 24. He says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. So Jesus is painting a picture of of a chief steward, basically. And the chief steward has a responsibility for all the other servants in the master's household. And and so Jesus finishes this little parable by just simply saying, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so, in other words, doing what the master gave him to do, when the master returns. We're called to be faithful to Jesus in our service. We're also to be faithful to him in our striving. That's why in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 5, Peter writes this, Be alert and of sober mind. There's an interesting study for you. Look through every time... Peter talks about having a mind or an attitude about something. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We're to be faithful in our striving. So often during this COVID pandemic and Peter has made allusion to conspiracy theories, people would give you the impression that our battle is against other people. And we, 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 we resent other people imposing things on us. Whether they're in a true position of authority or not, it makes us bristle. And we think that they are the enemy, but they're not. Paul tells us they're not. In Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, he tells us, put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. We're dealing with a spiritual battle here. And so often we con ourselves to think that we're fighting with people when we really have a spiritual enemy who, who is and trying to force us to abandon our faith and think it just isn't worthwhile and that God can't keep his promises when he can. And so he, both Peter and Paul, you'll notice that they tell us to stand. Peter says, resist him standing firm in the faith. Paul tells us, 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil. In fact, quoting by memory, he says that we put on the full armor of God so that, you know, in the end we will remain standing. So there's a spiritual battle going on. Because Jesus died and rose again and set an example for us, he's blazed the trail and he's set a pathway for you and me to follow in his footsteps. Because Jesus is coming again and he is going to share his glory with us. It's described as an eternal glory and a crown of glory. Because of the past and the future, we can live in the present and we can be faithful to Jesus. When I was a teenager growing up on the farm, this time of year in mid-August, one of my primary responsibilities, other than mucking out the barn and helping out with the milking chores, uh, this time of year would have been, I would have been disking fields like crazy, getting ready to plant winter wheat. And I would disk and I'd disk like crazy. And when I was very young and learning to handle the tractor well, my, my, my oldest brother, who's almost 20 years my senior, would kind of ride me a little bit and say, you know, can't you drive a straight line, you know? And, and so eventually I learned that the trick to driving that tractor so I could have a straight line with that disk was my focus. So I learned that when I drive that tractor, I don't look at the front of the tractor, but I would pick a fence post in the farthest fence line, and I would focus on that. And if, when I focused on it, the line from the disc behind me would be as straight as an arrow. Focus makes the difference. When you're running the race of faith, your focus makes the difference. Peter here teaches us to keep that focus, to focus on Christ's example from the past, to focus on the hope of future glory, and then to focus on present faithfulness. There's, there's a wonderful old chorus that has these lines. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Whatever you do, keep your eyes Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we have Jesus as our trailblazer and that he has set out the path before us and in fact we see him and we walk in his footsteps. Father, as we focus on Jesus, we anticipate the finish of the race and sharing in the glory of Jesus when this race is finished. Lord, we pray that you would find us faithful. May those who come behind us find us faithful. But Lord, we pray that most of all, you would find us faithful. That, that on that day, when we stand on the victor's podium and we stand before the judge's seat to receive the prize, we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And Father, now as we close our service this morning, as we have gathered in your presence, as we have gathered around your word, as we have been in our homes and just the three of us here in a church building, we haven't been merely in homes in a church building, but we have been in heaven itself, gathered around the throne of the universe. Father, we close with a word of praise and with a simple prayer. May the grace of Christ our Savior and the Father's boundless love with the Holy Spirit's favor rest upon us from above. 
Thus may we abide in union with each other and the Lord and enjoy in sweet communion gifts which earth cannot afford. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. And keep your eyes on Jesus. Thanks for listening. We invite you to follow Jesus with us and join us on mission with him. We'd love for you to connect with us through our website, worship at aemc.com, or on Facebook. Just search for Aylmer EMC.